Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we confess with St. John that these things are written, that Jesus is the Christ. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing. Uh, You may have have life life. in his name. Yeah, we're your hosts. I'm Thomas Limke, joined by my son, Ronan, who will inevitably cause many mental collapses over the state Uh of this. Our, our live studio audience today. Yeah. And I am I am Pastor Brown. We should rename this the Highly Plagued Podcast because I believe you, we, we missed last week because y'all had the plague. And right. then now I'm starting to get it because the rest of my family's got it. So if I start to wander off by the end of this, I apologize. It, it's not me just in a, a Cubs made it to the World Series euphoria. This is literally I, I'm getting some type of. There's bronchitis or something going around around up here. So mm-hmm. we we could be fun today, but we will be having a fun topic. We're going to get to John 20 today. But uh, but before we get to John 20, we, we had a momentous moment on this show. Actually, too, uh, do, do you want to mention the, uh, the, the streaming channel? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I didn't realize what you're talking about the second. But yeah, so we have um, set up what I have dubbed Anatole Radio which is streaming Gospel Boldly episodes, um, uh, Count It All Joy episodes. I think today I have it set to some uh, Kai Files episodes, which is my short-run podcast. And uh, we're trying to figure out how best to make use of the the software and the stuff. But you can access it for right now um, on our Count It All Joy Show Facebook page, which is Ooh. search Count It All Joy Show. And I think it comes right up on Facebook or at my blog at thekaifiles.com there's a, a thing in the sidebar where you can click to listen to Anatole Radio and as we go hopefully we'll we'll do more with it but experimental yes yeah, so, so you can just stream us constantly and just have us on a constant loop in, in, in your head if, you, if you'd like my son Whoa. wants more of that so. Yeah. <laughs> so and then and then the other thing that's, that's even more momentous for me mm-hmm. we got hate mail yeah all right uh, now, actually, they sent my copy to Thomas, so I I didn't I didn't actually get it. He's holding it up in front of me, so I can actually see it now. Uh, now, technically, so Thomas, they, they sent both of our copies to Zion and Lahoma. Did they send both to Lahoma? Uh-huh. That's awesome. Just so happens, I have connections with the Lahoma Post Office. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So so they don't really know where we're at. So if they like go utterly crazy and unhinged, they can't find us. That's good. Yeah. But Thomas, would you describe what we got? We actually didn't get hate mails. We got hate books. Yeah, as a matter of fact, a couple of books by, uh, and this is an admitted pseudonym. No, that's not how I would pronounce it, son. It's Oyanilo C. Gilchrist, I guess. Maybe it means something in some language, but... The characters are all English, so I can't tell if it's what it's supposed to be exactly. Gilchrist is a name that's familiar to me, the first name, I don't know. At any rate, the books are titled, two copies, same book, How Today's Christians Can Be Saved by Not Going to Any Church, Roman Christians. And um, flipping through the text itself, there's you know, quite a bit of evidence that English may or may not be this person's first language. If it was, then grade school was probably the last grade. Uh, level completed. Otherwise, who's to say? But you and I both, and I think I, I mentioned this to you, you and I both got um, little little messages. Can, can you read me my message, which is just beautiful? Yeah, let me, and, let me pull this out. Uh, right, right. All right. There we go. Okay. Your message. Uh, uh, 
My, my message. Yeah, from the 6th of October, 2016, by uh, this gentleman. Hey, Pastor Eric, Martin Luther died at Trini, which is, uh, as I gather from this book, um, slang for Trinitarian. He will boil with hell. How can you still, you know, how can you deceive yourself still? Peace. And then the signature. <laughs> Yay, we got anti-Trinitarian hate mail. So what we are going to do is we're going to end up focusing on the resurrection. But remember, <laughs> we confess God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right? There you go. And in fact, uh, do, you, do you realize that we do get the uh, the Trinity showing up in John 20. Can I, can I spot head this uh, up, up front load this very quickly? Yeah, of course. We confess that Jesus was raised from the dead by God the Father. Uh-huh, uh-huh. there we go. And after Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples. And what does he do? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So put that in your Unitarian pipe and smoke. There's the <laughs> triune God even in this chapter. Ah. All right, so so are we ready to dive on in then? Yeah, let's do it. All right, well, let's see if we can go uh, offend and annoy some more Unitarian heretics. Okay. All right, let's do it. So actually, that's not our goal. Our goal is to confess the truth, but it just if so we happens. Rabble the rousers or rouse the rabble rousers. Ah, it'll be fun. Right. So we're we're gonna start John twenty, which is the resurrection. This is one of the major texts of Easter Sunday. So if you would start, Thomas. Sure. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, uh, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So, Thomas, why would she go to the tomb early in the morning? What, what's going on? Well, I mean, early in the morning before too many people are frequenting it. I mean, maybe it's a spectacle. Maybe she doesn't want to go with everybody else. That's my best guess off the cuff. John, John assumes that you've heard the gospel story and you, you've heard the, the resurrection account. And what happens is the gals go to anoint the body because remember it was hastily done. And, and well, you had Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea tend to the body and, and well, good night. If, if they're doing it, it's probably not done right. So, so they're going to go and get things done rightly themselves. There you go. So, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a morbid task. It, it's, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, she's not in a, a good frame of mind as it were. I mean, this is not a, a happy thing. And then she gets to there and the stones rolled away. Mm-hmm. The, the, so she runs and she goes, finds Peter and John and, and is just, beside herself. All right. Okay. So let's see what goes on from there. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stopping to look, stooping to look in. uh, He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head not lying with a linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So Peter and John run, and, and John gives his lovely happy detail. I got there first. I was faster. I won the race. My, my oldest son now wants to race everywhere. It's like, I'll race you. I'll race you. I just want to walk home. I don't need to race you. Well, I'll race you. 
It's five feet. We don't need to race. But anyway, they're, they're racing, and John is very happy that he beat old man Peter there. But he does note that he just stops to look on in. Mm-hmm. He, John is faster, but he's not bold. Peter's the bold, brash one who just barges on in. And, and he notes that the face cloth is there, and it's folded. Now, Thomas, there's been a meme that's gone around, or a, an email or something, where it's, oh, well, you realize what this is. If you are getting up from dinner, you fold your napkin if you're coming back and you just throw it down messily if you're not coming back. And that's what's trying to be shown here. <laughs> what's the problem with that argument? Um, it makes no sense to me. I've never heard. So is oh, that oh, G- uh, Jesus finished a full course? <laughs> I mean, well, well it, 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 because, because it's nicely folded, it's a reminder that he's going to return on the last day. Now, the only problem with that is that that wasn't how they ate in the ancient world. That that's like current modern dining custom. Yeah, that's big yes, time I mean, anachronism. So so it's highly highly anachronistic. Now there is significance to the fact that it's folded. Okay. If the tomb was robbed, it, if you had uh, wild ruffians come and just take the body away, what would the tomb have looked like? It would have been just. Torn up, I would think that you know right. clothesline you, everywhere. Nothing you're not worried about niceties if you're tomb robbing, but you do see that things are done properly and and in good order. Now, now who does like to do things properly in good order? The Lord, of course. Right. So, so there is significance to it. It's not just that he's. It's not. Oh, he's coming back because look, it's not wadded up. But no, it, it's. Look, this wasn't a, a ransacked thing. This isn't a, a uh, an act of terror or desecration. Something else is going on. And so then you get in verse, uh, if you would do a nine, oh, eight through ten. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well... You get this wonderful thing again where they look in and they see it. And again, John says, well, they, they they believe, but they didn't understand. We Okay, something's going on, but they have no clue. Once again, in John's gospel, you have that that, that humble admission that, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. I had no idea what was going on. I, Peter and I looked in. We saw the empty tomb, and, and we had no clue. Now, now, let's just pause for that. I want to talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, Thomas, does it seem to be a virtue today to admit that you don't know or that you don't understand? No, much, much hay will be made and, and much will you go out of your way to prove the opposite when possible. In fact, sometimes we almost equate I have belief with I can explain everything. True. Right, I mean that, that where where it almost becomes the the giant contest to have the the more wondrous and great answer to every single question. But know what you have here. He went in, he saw and believed, but he did not understand. Mm-hmm. At least in John's gospel, believing isn't necessarily tied to understanding. It, it's you see, and yes, this is what it is. How I have no idea. John is very comfortable with understanding mystery. And this is one of the things that we deal with in the Christian faith. There are things that are beyond our understanding. In fact, uh, when I finish a sermon, I will bless the congregation by saying, now may the peace that surpasses all human understanding. Human understanding. Yeah. 
the the idea is yeah yeah we we believe in this piece but and we understand in part but but we don't get the fullness of it right it is beyond us and one of the things i think sometimes can be lacking today is sometimes that that sense of mystery i mean even as i'm going and, and we're doing this podcast and we're explaining what's going on so people have more understanding and and can see greater connections there's never going to come a day when you say, oh, well, now I've got it all under my thumb. I understand everything. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that, that's not the goal. That's not the point. You're, you're, oh, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. Oh, how unsearchable are his ways beyond all knowing. And I just kind of lost the flow of that because, again, I, <laughs> but, 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 it, but it's Romans 11. I mean, so, so that's the point. And I, I do think it's just great that, that you have Peter, John go and they see the empty tomb and they're like, yeah, it's empty, and and it wasn't ransacked. And okay, I yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I got nothing, and they go home. But they here's one problem with not shrug. But here's the one thing that they do that's utterly horrible: <laughs> they ditch Mary. <laughs> but we'll get to that later on in the show because now it's about time for break. So we'll go to break, and when we get back, we'll have the backwards life, and we'll see what's going on there. So we'll get back in just a few moments. All right. And after that oh-so-useful break, we are back on the Gospel Boldly podcast, and we're moving to the part of the show that we will call the Backwards Life, where where Thomas will ask me a common Christian question, and I'll try and come at it from a slightly backwards angle to to get a different perspective and approach on it. So, uh, Thomas, what do we have today? Well, seeing as how we haven't really covered this subject in any great depth um, as such— like we did in Inquisition of Old back at the Count Joy show since we started the Gospel Boldly, I thought I would ask you about the common Christian question, three and one, how can this be, as it pertains to the Trinity? Three in one and one in three. Mm-hmm. How, 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 oh, how can this be? Yes. Okay, that, that was a terrible poem, but it was off the top <laughs> of my head. Um Here's the the thing that I will do that is slightly backwards. Okay. I came up this and uh, this came up in in confirmation class just recently. And the 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 best positive teaching tool I like is the the thing where you have uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, and you have the Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God. But then you have the line saying the the Father is not the Spirit, the Son is not the Spirit, the Son is not the. That's the closest we can get. But but really the 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 other approach the the backwards approach is why do you think that you would be able to understand the inner workings of the existence of god why why would you think that god wouldn't be mysterious and beyond you and i i say this because part part of of the well, this actually does tie into what we just ended up talking about. Mm-hmm. That was not intentional on my part. <laughs> but um, but part of this is okay. I, I'm I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. Luther once, when talking about the Lord's Supper, responded 
to someone who's trying to iron everything out and make everything utterly logical and rational by saying, it's as though God is saying, there's a mystery here, you fool. Right. This is, we are, we're not the folks in charge. We're not the folks standing on top and making sure we have everything figured out. We're looking at things that are above and beyond and bigger than us. So one of the things I would say is that it's not really a matter of you, we don't, understand the Trinity. I can't wrap my mind around three and one and one and three, but on the basis of what the scriptures teach, we do see that that Jesus is Lord. We see that the Holy Spirit is Lord. We see that the, the Father is Lord, and yet we are taught that there are not three gods, but one God. Therefore, that's what we confess. That, that, that there is a, a three and one and one and three, and how does that work? Beats the tar to me, but I don't need to know that. I rather simply confess. And and really what this gets to is the fact that we aren't in charge of things. I, I, I think there's a, a wonderful beauty in seeing things that are beyond me in my faith. Things that that are beyond my ability to comprehend, because again, it it reminds me to be humble. It reminds me that it's not about me and my understanding and what I do and everything that's great, but it's rather something that I receive, where I am the the one that is given good things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we pray our Father who art in heaven. I don't expect my son Victor to know everything. That's not his job. Granted, I teach him. He ho- I hope he learns. But but really, I. As the father in that relationship, I'm the one who's kind of in charge and I'm giving good things and taking care of him and all that type of stuff. God is our father. He, he is beyond us. We, we, we don't get everything. And, and you know what? That's okay. But what is important is we don't put our reason, our attempts to sort things out over and above what the scriptures say. Because mm-hmm. that's when we get into trouble. So rather, let us just strive to confess what the scriptures say in a nice orderly way. But let's not put our own reason above scripture. The Trinity is not a problem unless you want to make it make sense to yourself and think that the thing that is most important is making things make sense to yourself. That's not the most important thing. So does that work as a a backwards approach to it? That'll do it. All right. Cool Cool. beans. Thank you, thank you. Well, I guess that brings us back into the text proper, right? Verse 11. Right, right. If you would take a, how about, how about just, just verse 11? Okay. Just, just, just the one verse. Cause this is great. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. All right. So, so just get this in your head. Visualize this. Think of this, how this happens. Mary is upset and she runs to go get Peter and John. She wants their help. Um, what sort of help do they give her? They don't. They, they come and say, oh, yeah, she's not crazy. And then they ditch her. Think about this. They go back home. But when they go back home, they don't they don't bring Mary with her. They don't say, come on, let's go. They leave her weeping at the tomb. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Thomas, is this a par- is this a great example of of masculine virtue of, of taking care of women or chivalry or anything like that? <laughs> not hardly. I mean, it's one of the things that I actually kind of most enjoyed the reason mary gets to see jesus first is because the guys ditch her <laughs> i i mean it, it's just you you have the 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 disciples go oh well i don't know what's going on you walk away from a crying gal and you leave her standing in a graveyard i it, it's just just uh, my 
my mom would have tanned my hide if I had done something like that. <laughs> right. But that's neither here nor there. But so you 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 have poor ditched Mary standing, and she finally goes and looks in the tomb. No, they don't take her, and the, they're they're not doing anything to take care of her. Just her kind of annoys annoys me a bit. But so she stoops in. All right. Okay. And continue. Okay. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now remember, in in John's gospel, and you have that address of woman, it's polite. If I were doing my happy translation today, I'd probably say ma'am. Because it, it, it's the, the rough equivalent. It's not... Because normally, if, if you just walk up to someone and call her a woman or man, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not polite. But that that's actually a polite form of address. It, it, it's it's the way you'd say, uh, "Ma'am, uh, why are you crying?" So so they're very polite and gentle to her, and, and she says, "Oh, they've taken my lord. I don't know where you go." So she she tells them why she's crying, but but you know what she does not do. She doesn't ask them who they are. Mm-hmm. She doesn't ask them if they know anything, and she just, oh, 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 oh. read the next verse. Okay. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did okay, not just, know that it was Jesus. Just pause there. So, I mean, get, get this narrative in your head. She goes in the tomb and sees angels, mm-hmm. and they talk to her. Woman, why are you crying? Oh, they took him, and then she walks away. So I mean, just 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 think about think about how how distressed and freaked out she is, Thomas. If you walk in upon two angels and they ask you why you're weeping, do you think you might want to engage in a conversation with them? Yeah, there's going to be more to that. She she's so distraught that she has no sense of what's going on. That comes around when she turns around and she sees Jesus. I guess you should have stuck around with the gal, Peter and John. She turns around and sees Jesus and. I cut you off in the middle of the verse. Did you? Yeah. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Ah. So she's so distraught that Jesus is standing in front of her. Her her tears are so full that she can't even recognize Jesus at first. It, 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 it's almost comedic if you think about it. I mean, you, you could, uh, could do a, a video of this, a recording of this, and, and have this have be a, a, a moment of great joy and mirth where, where it's almost, this, this is silly. So, all right, I saw your son turn around and you went after him, so I'm going to read on. Okay. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Mm-hmm. So think about what that, what, what is she saying? If you've taken him somewhere, I will go grab him and I will drag the body through the cemetery back here where it's supposed to be. <laughs> Just me, myself, Peter and John have left. I, I got this. Well, I, I mean, do you, do you see how this is, I, th- this is not, th- this is not rational, calm thought. This is, this is up in the air hysterics. And, and here's the beautiful Note the the tinge that I like. I, I think this is one of the neat things that John puts in. Who did Mary think that Jesus was? A gardener. Now Thomas, the first man, mm-hmm. Adam. What was he? What was his job? 
he was uh, put in the Garden of Eden to tend it. So I guess so gardener would <laughs> suffice as an explanation. So, so really, this is this is a very nice thing. One of the things that that Paul points out in Romans mm-hmm. is that Christ is the new Adam, where the first Adam failed. Christ comes and he is the new Adam, the new head of humanity. So so she thinks he's the gardener. I mean, you get this wonderful play. The 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 fall had happened in the garden. Now we see the resurrection taking place in a garden. Mm-hmm. And who's there? A living man who who is the guy who's actually tending and taking care of the garden. Well, well, not the way she thinks, but really in the way that he is. It's a much better way. So I I, I love that little nuance that that oh she thought he was the gardener. Well, that that that's very poetic, and it actually does fit. And she was writer than she knew, mm-hmm. more right than she knew. I just said writer, Ooh. more right than she knew, <laughs> and yet she's still not getting stuff. Right. She she's going off and and uh, l- listen, just tell me where you put him. I will drag him away. And then Jesus finally speaks. Well, speaks again. I should say. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic. Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, now this is one where I almost imagine this to be a very exasperated Mary. Like, Mary! <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mary, come on, come on. Some, you could argue that's a nice Mary, a nice tender Mary or something, but... but I, I, I'd imagine this, come on, look, look, do you see what's going on? And note, here's the cool thing. It is when Jesus calls her by name that she is able to recognize him as her teacher, as her savior, right? Right. Uh, hey, Thomas, can, can we make hay with that? Ha- have you been called by God by name so that you can recognize him and know who he is? Yep. It was uh, about 28 years ago now (laughs) at the font in Fort Worth, Texas. You were baptized in Fort Worth? I believe that's right. Better Dallas. (laughs) Wow. All right. Okay. But but what this is, is it is a matter. You can tie this to baptism very easily where God has called us by name. I mean, this is is part of that that whole thing that there. We, we, we will get that whole, you need to have a relationship with God. Well, no, the simple fact is you are his created being. You do have a relationship, whether you believe or not. But when you are baptized, there is that idea of, of your name. You're part of the family. You're, you're, and I just saw my godchild go flying up high above the microphone, <laughs> which is kind of fun. But, but there is that idea of, of name, that, that there is identity and relation that is not unknown, but known. And, and, and it was still there, even when Mary was confused and battered. Well, Mary doesn't know what's going on, but Jesus does know what's going on. He knows who Mary is. And he's there for her, which is, again, a great comfort. The person who knows what's going on here is Jesus. He, he's got his ducks in a row. Even if Peter and John and 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 uh, Mary and, and even if we get to it today, Thomas, don't. Mm-hmm. We might have to wait till next time for Thomas. Probably. That might be good. So, all right. But does that track, follow, make sense? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, well let's pause here. And then we'll we'll come back after the break and and dive on in and get the uh, the rest of the Easter morning story. Sounds good. And we are back, and we're 
I was going to say, we're about finishing up the resurrection, but that sounds kind of bad. We're, we're, we're uh, moving through the, uh, the account of the resurrection from John chapter 20, and, and Jesus has just called Mary by name, and she has figured out that she is teacher. And if we would get verse 17 and 18. Sure. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Mm, little, little burp there. <clears throat> and that he has said these things, uh, or in that he had said these things to her. Now, a lot of people will, will try to figure out, well, what, what does he mean by he hasn't ascended? What, well, okay, think about what's going on. Think, think about the narrative. When Mary turns around and, and realizes that it's Jesus, what's she going to do? She's going to try to keep him around and feed him and care well, for him. Well, not even that. You've been through a lot, Jesus. Let me, let me make you breakfast. <laughs> she is going to what in modern English I like to call a glop. She is right. going to. Whoop. So when he says, do not cling to me for I have not ascended my father, it's not don't touch. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see you too, Mary, but I, I, I do have things I'm going to need to do. So, so it. Again, this is kind of I view it as somewhat humorous, where mm-hmm. where where she's so well, I mean you, you you've come across times where where someone has just been so happy to see you and they are there. Okay, okay, that 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 was a nice hug, but now it's time to move on, and and I've got things to do. You've got things to do, and so so listen, I, I, <laughs> I there's other places I need to go, Mary, but I just want to let you know that I'm okay. I was I was checking in now. Now I need to go, and 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 here I'll I'll give you something to do. You you go tell tell the disciples and 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 let them know what's going on. All right. Mm-hmm. So I I do like how it. it if you've noticed, I, I I think one of the things that we should remember when we read these accounts is that these are real people. Peter and John are real people likened to us. Mary's a real person likened to us. And you know who else is real? Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is not just some... Type of, but 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 you've got real people going with real swings of emotion. Can you imagine the swings of emotion that Mary is going through this day, this morning, with what you have? No, no, not with my experience so far. I, I mean, this is the wild roller coaster, and so so there is this giant mix of 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 sorrow and joy and mirth and confusion and all the sort. Basically, almost every emotion that we get in life is wrapped up in these 18 verses and in an extremely intense fashion. And, and there's a reality to it. it. This is one of the things that I, I find convincing about the scriptures, one of the things I like about it. They're not sanitized, especially especially John's gospel, because he gets so much of the the what you're doing, what you're going, this is where I was at, this is how things were going, I didn't have a clue. To, they're, they're so honest and realistic about life. And I, I guess this is almost becoming a theme of the day. 
the Christian faith is not simply a matter of rote logic and numbers and get these facts right and then you got it. Our God is a living God who deals with living creatures whom he has made. He deals with us and, and we are emotional beings and that's okay. Now, Thomas, l- let me ask, if mm-hmm. I say we are emotional beings, does that cause you a little bit of nervousness or terror? No, I've, I've more recently come to more or less accept that about <laughs> human, human nature and human beings. It's when you live with a toddler, you come to accept the emotional nature of humanity uh, or, or perish very quickly, I feel like. <laughs> well, I mean, but this is one of the things that, that do, you, do you see that, that emotional aspect that comes out in, in this gospel text? It's not just matter of fact. It's not bare bones. It, it's, it's a very intense and personal accounting of, of the resurrection. Mm-hmm which I think is appropriate, not in some sentimental way, but just, no, look, these things really happen. This this parallels uh, uh, John at the crucifixion saying, the one who saw these things bears witness. No, I, I was there. This is what it was like. When we deal with the scriptures, we're not dealing with with mythical heroes and some never-never land and some fairy tale where where – it's not like the 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 description of Lake Wobegon, where all the men are manly and all the women are womenly. And no, it, it, <laughs> womenly. Uh, sorry, folks. It's a bad, bad vocabulary day. But but it's a matter of this stuff really happened to real people. These are real historical events. Now, with that being said, Thomas, mm-hmm. if I say the the resurrection is a real historical fact. Mm-hmm. That that kind of goes into your wheelhouse. So I, I I'm going to want to let you you talk and opine for a bit about about historical reality of crucifixion resurrection because that's that that that's kind of your wheelhouse type of thing. So just what are, what are your thoughts on on well, I guess your thoughts on what we've gone over in John 20 and then just beyond from there. Yeah, sure. So I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is you know when we talk about the resurrection immediately the the philosophers, the naturalistic materialists of our age discount it because when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about at the core, the miraculous. So there has to be some kind of a priori rejection of anything defying uh, the mundane, if you will, the day-to-day naturalistic, materialistic processes of the world, which you've pointed out previously is more or less what the world was set up to operate on. God has constructed the bridge, if you will, and and it operates according to a set pattern and design. And when that pattern and design is interrupted in this way, we call it a miracle. So I think what can be hard for people, especially coming outside of the perspective of faith to grasp, is the fact that we as Christians do believe that Jesus' body was quickened again after it was laid in the tomb, after his heart stopped beating, after his, his tissues had sustained significant damage, um, enough, again, to, to cause the heart to stop beating in the first place. Uh, deterioration has said, and one would expect that Jesus went through having rested in the tomb over the course of Saturday, rigor mortis would have set in. And you have to have a reversal of all of those biological and we could say natural processes to get him on his feet again. And that's exactly what we believe. And this goes back to what you've been talking about in the episode, which is it's not 
logically coherent in the sense that it follows from observable facts in the world today. But we believe it based on the testimony of the witnesses. And this is something that Christian apologists have, have argued since I'm sure Justin Martyr and before, which is on the strength of the testimony of the witnesses, the two or three that we've talked about as we've been through John, um, this happened because, well, because, because God willed it. But we, we believe that it happened because of the, the changed lives of the men who it affected. So we're about to read some accounts of the guys who were terrified and, and we'll go into the, the about face and maybe we'll get to acts eventually and talk about that too. But you look like you have a thought. All right. Here's my question. Because one of the things that, that I think this episode's kind of been revolving around is, is the fact that things that we don't understand or don't control that aren't normal or rational are frightening. Whether it's the some people are frightened of the idea of the Trinity because it's beyond them. They can't wrap their heads around it or, mm-hmm. or the mysterious or the miraculous. Thomas, why mm-hmm. is the idea of the miraculous so scary, do you think? The miraculous has to come from somewhere outside of the system that we call, I guess, our world or our universe or, or whatever you want to say. And I think to answer your question, it's, at its core, we're all afraid of the judgment of God, right? At the end of the day, all of us are sitting there with, with uh, our forebears in the garden hiding when he comes a walking. So if the miraculous does in fact exist and not in the sense of, you know, the aliens, which would just be another naturalistic explanation for it. If the miraculous exists, that means the, the, the one responsible for the miraculous has power and he has power to come in judgment. And that's terrifying. <laughs> well, and, and, and this is one of the things where, where again, it, it, it points back to where if there is miraculous, then fundamentally it's beyond my control. Yeah. There's no way I can game the system. Right. There's no way I can set the rules and I know the rules and I can do the rules better than you. And in other words, that just means it's all out of our hands. That It's not a glorification of the self. And that... That means God's in charge. And, and, and here is the thing that comes up and, and, and that, that, that point that we're left as sinful men assuming God is the angry judge who's going to come smite us. Mm-hmm. Be, because we know the way the game is played and how would we play the game? Well, we, we're, <laughs> as sinful men, it, it, it's a claw scratcher way to go to the top. And if you're oh, the yeah. big dog, you step on those below you. And that that's how we – in our gut, just assume everything has to work. So when we hear that there's one who is almighty and powerful and above us, we assume he's going to step on us. That That's what sin assumes. Of course. And yet, over and over, the point of the scripture is that God comes and uses his power to save. That he uses his power and authority to serve. That the point is forgiveness. The point is not that that you are the faceless masses that he can grind under his heel. Mm-hmm. But that you are the one whom he knows by name, who he loves. And he, he, he does not berate Mary for not knowing what's going on. He does not berate the apostles when he shows up. Even, even next week when Thomas is being a, a total, not, not, not you, Thomas, but the, the apostle. <laughs> Thomas. Could be. When, well, maybe if Thomas is. Just but but when when doubting Thomas, as uh-huh. it's so often labeled, 
Jesus doesn't rag on him for it. He doesn't. He doesn't toss him. He doesn't say, "Ah, oh, well, guess what? I, I, well, Judas died, and you fail. I guess I only need ten apostles now. Ten, ten's a good number." <laughs> That's not the way he operates, and, and and so it's one of the things where where really it is a good thing that God is beyond us because we're stuck in sinful flesh and the world, and and we can't comprehend God's goodness. This is the one where I, I, I say it's very good that I am not all powerful because I would be a lousy deity. Yeah, I yeah. would be a mean, angry god. Uh, there would have been lightning strikes in Cleveland last night. Corey Kluber's <laughs> arm would have fallen off in terror, which is a shame because he actually did pitch a great game. It was a thing of beauty. Not that I liked it as a Cubs fan. By the way, the Cubs are in the World Series, and this is when we're recording. So, hey, there we go. Hopefully, Congrats. by the time you hear this, there are more Cubs victories and all that good stuff. Aha, go Cubs, uh-huh. go. But, ah, this is life. I mean, it, it's one of the things where I'm not in control. And actually, even over and against what my my gut, my sinful flesh tells me, that's good. Because it means God is in control, and he is good to me. And he's good to you. That's what the gospel is. We are gospel boldly, even over and above our own stupidity, which constantly pops out, which constantly fights against us. No, the the point of the whole scriptures is, look, God is good to you. He does things that are good for you, even that are beyond your understanding. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't rest upon you. It rests upon him. Final thoughts, Thomas? No, I I don't want to talk after that. That's a pretty good summary. (laughs) It deserves to stand. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, I encourage you all to uh, watch the World Series if it's still on, hopefully, and maybe root for the Cubs or even root for Cleveland. I, 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 I'm not going to feel bad if Cleveland wins because they've had hard luck. And my, my grandma's old and she roots for Cleveland. So, hey, all right. She's 88. She can never Indians win. So, see, I'm Very trying nice. to be gracious. Oh, come on, Lord. Please give me a Cubs one. All right. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Have a good week. Enjoy your stuff. Don't forget, you can stream us now and hear way old stuff. So the the contemporary things we say will be way out of date and it'll be awesome. Have a great one. Enjoy your salvation that Christ has won for you. Bye.